Good afternoon and welcome back Memorial Baptist friends and family. Welcome to our midweek podcast and update for Memorial Baptist Church. Now coming up we will continue our study in chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews. But first a little update on how we are ministering here at Memorial. Tracy and I hope that each of you enjoyed sharing communion together with us this past Sunday on Easter Sunday. You know, this coming Sunday, Sunday, April 19th, our Lord's Day, we'll begin a new series, a new dynamic sermon series on the power of mission. It's a series exploring Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll also be looking at some other great passages like Acts 1-8 and Acts 2-36, I hope you'll be tuned in and present over the next few weeks as we look at the power of of the mission, uh, the place of our mission, the project of our mission, the promise of our mission, and the importance of being controlled by Christ. See, I believe like the song says, greater things are yet to come, greater things are still to be done in the city. And I believe that's the city of Temple. You know, We are doing a a great job of of getting the word out and seeing um, how God is is using people and and, uh, ministering in these difficult days. Braden Tanner was sharing with me uh, today how uh, he was able to uh, lead another college student to Christ, uh, to, to faith in Jesus Christ, and what a blessing it is to see God at work, uh, changing lives and transforming lives. These are special times. And right now, as we walk through this uh, pandemic together, um, it really does help us to, to know that we have a God who is in control and He's softening people's hearts. So I encourage you to share your faith with boldness, with assurance, with confidence, in whom we have believed. You know, with our inability to meet right now, um, not only have our contributions um, kind of fallen off and and people aren't giving as much as they they would have if they were attending church, but uh, I want to make a special plea today for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering um, this offering goes 100% to North American missions. And so any mission work that you have in Texas, any mission work that you see in the Northwest or in other parts of the, um, the United States, um, really this is something that uh, funnels and fuels that type of work. And uh, we had set a church goal of uh, $4,020 uh, this year, and I don't know how much has been given to that uh, currently, but it's not very much. And so I would encourage you, if you want to give, please go to our website uh, and go to the, the giving tab and, and click on that. And uh, it's probably the second or, or third um, um, fund that comes up, but if you will give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, I know those working in the Northwest and in other places in our nation would be blessed uh, by that. I know that you will be blessed as well 
for giving to the Lord. Um, Real quickly, there's six ways you can give to our church. You drop a check off directly to the church. You can mail a check to the church. You can give online through our website. You can give through our church app. Uh, You can even call the church office on Monday mornings and either Joel Shoemate or Melinda Greger uh, will answer and you can give them your debit card number um, and then we'll get rid of the information after doing as you wish. But you can also text to give. So if you want to text to give, it's 84321, 84321, and then you can text the amount that you want to give and, and go through the prompts there. But I just want to thank you, Memorial, for all that you do for the kingdom and to see it move forward. Um, our drive through prayer ministry is still rolling. If you want to be a part of that, if you want to come and pray with people as they drive on their commute home uh, down 5th Street, uh, please contact Steve Hubbard and uh, he can get you uh, assigned to a time when you could come and, and do that. But um, I would like for us to, to go to the Lord in prayer and just pray with me uh, as I pray um, for our church and our, our country. And uh, just, just pray with me, if you would. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us and for sustaining it, us each week. We thank you, Lord, that you are, are the God of our salvation. Um, we are so thankful for what you did on the cross through Jesus for each one of us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the indwelling Holy Spirit who is our teacher, our guide, and leads us into all truth. I thank you for the promptings of the Holy Spirit, that, that while people are standing before us in real time, that, that your Holy Spirit nudges us and, and gives us the words to say, to be the witness that you call us to be. Father, I just want to thank you for our church family. I thank you for the love between brothers and sisters in our church family. I thank you for the unity that we enjoy. I thank you that we love one another. And uh, Father, your word says that uh, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so I, I thank you for that love that we have for each other. And Father, I pray for our homebound. I pray for our seniors. Um, I know, Father, that uh, many probably feel lonely during this time. So I pray that your presence would be with them and that they would sense your presence. Um, Father, I I lift up and and pray for protection for them, that they would weather this pandemic, that they would stay in, that they would be able to uh, uh, continue on in this life, being a blessing to those around them. Father, I want to lift up our marriages and our families to you. I pray that you would just touch them and, and, and build strong unions, Father. And Father, that you would just continue to show yourself mighty in each of our families. Father, thank you for our ministries and our opportunities that, that we have to be uh, your hands and your feet in, in, in this world. Father, I pray that you would just continue to give each of our staff members strength. I I thank you that they are such an amazing staff to work with. I I love their heart for you and their diligence and their faithfulness and their desire to, to minister to others and to share the gospel with others. Father, we celebrate this college student that is, has prayed to receive Christ and what a joy it is when we see the gospel going forth. Lord, I just want to pray right now for our, our nation. I lift up our president to you. I lift up our other gov- government leaders. 
I pray for wisdom for them. I pray, Father, that that you would uh, show them what you are doing and what to do and when to do it. Father, that they would um, come to you on on bended knee, Father, uh, knowing that you are the one in control of all of it. I pray, Father, that you would um, give the salvation of souls. Father, that you would save the souls of men and women all around us. Father, those in our families, those in our homes, those in our neighborhoods, Father, those in our church, those in our nation, Father, that you, your Holy Spirit would draw men and women unto yourself and that you would save their souls for all eternity. Father, I pray that you would push back the darkness. Father, that you would um, push back the enemy and not allow the enemy to reign and to, to cause fear and terror. Your word says that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. So, Father, I pray that you would help us as we uh, navigate through uncharted waters, that you would show us exactly what you're doing and what uh, we need to do. Father, I also ask that you would push back the darkness, the, the sickness, the effects of, of COVID-19. Um, Lord, I just want to lift up those who um, are grieving, and I pray that you would comfort them. I pray, Father, that you would comfort their loved ones who are missing uh, those who have, have perished during this illness. I pray, Father, that you would continue to help us in our distress. And Father, help us to guide others to Jesus. I pray that that would be our heart, that we would want to do that for you and for your kingdom work. Father, please give us wisdom in all things. And Lord, we're going to be very careful to give you all the praise and all the honor and the glory for everything you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Switching gears now, we're going to dive into our Bible study in the Holy Bible in the third chapter of the book of Hebrews. So in Hebrews chapter 1 through 7, the writer tells us, about Jesus. They t- he tells us that Jesus is the new and better deliverer. See, breaking this down, in chapters 1 and 2, the writer puts forth that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man, so he's the God-man, and the God-man is better than the angels. So that's chapters 1 and 2. Now in chapter 3, He puts forth that Jesus, the new apostle, is better than Moses. Let's see if we can unpack this box or part of this box, so to speak. Okay, raise your hand. Wait a minute. I can't even see you right now. Okay, okay, so I won't ask for a show of hands. But there are probably many of you who maybe made New Year's resolutions that have definitely fallen by the wayside. You know, it's easy to begin a diet, but it's tough to stick to it when tempting foods are set before you. It's easy to begin an exercise program, but it's not so easy to work out when your body is screaming, you deserve a break today. Or more seriously, it's easy to begin a marriage. You're in love, you're young, you're healthy, and you think, how could I ever have problems with this wonderful person? But as we who have been married for many years know, it's not so easy to sustain a loving marriage when the problems of life press in. Well, the same is true in the Christian life. 
It's easy to trust in Christ and receive eternal life as a free gift. I mean, such a deal. In our culture, it's usually easy for us to confess our faith in Christ, maybe even through baptism. We we put that out there, and that's our public testimony. But in Muslim or Hindu cultures, confessing your faith in Christ can mean giving up your family or your friends, maybe even your life. But in America right now, it's fairly easy to confess our faith in Jesus Christ. At first, it's easy to join a a local church, and it's wonderful to be a part of a loving body of believers. But as those of us who have been Christians for a while know, it's not easy to endure. The Christian life is warfare against the powers of darkness, and there are many, many casualties. Yielding to sin brings down many believers. I mean, others drift gradually, neglecting to spend time with the Lord. The crud of the world gradually builds up, kind of like the dirt on our cars and trucks during the winter months when it's difficult to wash them. Soon people are far away from the Lord. Others seem to do well for a while, but they lose their first love and settle into a routine Christian existence. Others fall away because they get wounded by fellow Christians who spread half-truths about them or who treat them poorly. At first, they claim to be following Jesus, but their bitterness towards his body, the church, takes a toll, and they do not endure. The Hebrew Christians had begun well. Early in their Christian experience, they endured great sufferings and persecutions. Many had their property confiscated on the account of their faith, and they endured it joyfully. But now they were in danger of drifting back into Judaism and neglecting their great salvation in Jesus Christ. So the author of Hebrews is exhorting them towards endurance. He's encouraging them in that. One of the most difficult tasks in the interpretation of the book of Hebrews is to think, like a Jew. This book was written to a group of professing Hebrew Christians who were seriously considering leaving Christianity and going back into Judaism. The author of Hebrews goes to the Old Testament to show how Christ is superior to all the Old Testament teachings and why they must not leave Christ and go back into the Old Testament system. So let me read out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1, down through verse 6. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house, For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. 
Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. This passage shows us that Jesus Christ is superior to Moses. It's very difficult for us as Gentiles removed 2,000 years from New Testament times to understand the reverence and esteem in which Moses was held by the Jews. Almost all of Jewish religious history was related in some way to Moses. Moses was his own prophet, his own priest and king. Through Moses, Israel was freed from Egyptian bondage. Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Law. Through him, the whole of the Levitical economy was instituted, the tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrifices. See, Moses was the administrator of the theocracy for Israel. And Moses was the hero of every Jew, for he was the supreme leader and lawgiver. If Christ is the Messiah, then it would have to be proven that Christ was better than Moses. No Jew would follow a man with fewer credentials than Moses. With great finesse, the author does not defame Moses, but he exalts Christ to show that Christ is superior to Moses. In our text, the author's message is simple. In order to endure, consider Jesus. See, this is our weakness. We look at ourselves and at our own weaknesses. Consider him. Consider Jesus. In the Greek, this word for consider is an astronomer's word, Set your telescope to the heavens and gaze upon him. This verse, chapter 3, verse 1, begins with therefore. In chapter 1 of Hebrews, we saw that Christ was truly God. In chapter 2, we saw he was truly man. It was also declared that Christ was a merciful and faithful high priest in chapter 2, verse 17. So now the author begins to tell us how Christ was a faithful high priest. Since Christ is the God-man, our high priest, we are to relate these truths to our lives, and the first step in this process is to meditate on Christ by considering Him. (laughs) You know, I read about an old park ranger in Yosemite National Park who was still working in his late 80s. He had spent literally his entire life exploring and enjoying the spectacular beauty of Yosemite. And one day a woman from the city hurriedly approached him, and and you could tell she was kind of in a dither and, and was hurriedly about something. And she said, if you only had one hour to see Yosemite, what would you do? She was trying to find out what was most important. He slowly repeated her words, only one hour to see Yosemite. And after a pause, he said, ma'am, 
if I only had one hour to see Yosemite, I'd go over to that log right there, sit down, and I'd cry. (laughs) How much time do you spend each week considering the beauty of Christ? How much time did you spend this past week considering the beauty of Christ? See, the Bible has page after page revealing his majestic glory. And by the way, it's our only source of information. Some Christians make up a a Jesus in their minds, but he isn't the Jesus of the Bible. Their Jesus is nice and he's never judgmental. And when they sin, which is often their Jesus just hugs them and assures them that we will all make mistakes. Their Jesus loves them just as they are, which is how they like it because they don't want to confront their sins and discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness. The problem is their Jesus isn't the Jesus of the Bible. It says, consider Jesus. It talks about holy brethren, and the author assumed that the vast majority of people to whom he was writing were true, born-again believers in Jesus Christ. He addresses them as brethren based on their outward profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They're also called holy in that they have been set apart to God for divine service. They're members of the Christian brotherhood and separated from their unbelieving Jewish kinsmen. See, in God's eyes, there's only one brotherhood, and that is the brotherhood of all true believers in Christ. These true believers have different backgrounds, talents, temperaments, education, and rank, but they form one brotherhood separated to the service of God. My brothers and sisters are any and all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, I live and I would gladly die. This scripture goes on and talks about partakers of a heavenly calling. These Hebrew Christians were sharers in the calling that comes only from God. As Christians are associated with one another in the Holy Brotherhood because of the sovereign call of God to salvation, it is such a neat opportunity that we are called to. You know, Romans 8, verse 28 and following says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Even in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul writes, he says, Who God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Again, in Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. See, we are Christians 
at this very hour because God has sovereignly called us to be Christians in his divine plan. Note carefully, this is a a heavenly calling in that it originated from heaven and it takes us to heaven. This is also a heavenly calling in that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, much of the the Jewish hope was an earthly hope. But in the, the New Testament, the church has a heavenly hope for the church has its eyes fixed upon a city whose maker and builder is God, the new and eternal Jerusalem. This is the first mention of the contrast of heaven and world or material things of this world which are temporary and heavenly things which are eternal. The book of Hebrews is a heavenly book. Christ fulfilled all the Old Testament types and shadows. When Christ rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, He took everything of spiritual significance up to heaven. The whole worship now is spiritual and heavenly. Our Christ is in heaven. Our worship is in heaven. Our home is in heaven. We no longer need altars, buildings, tabernacles, candles, because we are a heavenly people serving a heavenly Christ. The scripture says, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. These Christians were to give deep contemplation to to Christ and to fix their spiritual eyes on Christ. It was only as they seriously considered Christ that they would not leave Christianity for Judaism. It's only as we think about, meditate on, and give attention to Christ that we learn to love Him and long to please Him. See, Christians have made a confession, a a profession of faith in Christ as Lord, as Savior, as King, Priest, Prophet. And the word confession means that When the Christian makes his initial act of faith in Christ, he agrees or consents to the fact that Christ is Lord, Savior, King, Prophet, Priest, as God has declared him to be. A true believer is one who confesses Christ to men, to others. I mean, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart a man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men... I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. While there are some who only profess Christ outwardly, who have never been regenerated, the true believer is the one who confesses Christ before men and before God. Jesus Christ, it says, is the Apostle. An apostle is one who is sent out and refers to his mission to to come to earth to reveal God's will to humanity. See, as a prophet, stick with me here, as a prophet, Christ represents God before us and speaks to us from God. So listen to him. 
But as our high priest, Christ represents humanity before God, and he speaks for us to God. Just so we don't miss the argument, these words apostle and high priest are introductory to show that Christ is superior to Moses. Moses was a prophet, but Christ was the prophet. Moses was a king, but Christ is the king of kings. Moses was a priest, but Christ is the high priest. Look at this passage. I mean, verse 2, verse 2 through 4. It says, He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house, for he has been counted worthy of much excuse me, of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. You see, Moses is given the highest compliment. He was faithful in all his house. In the household of God, Moses resembles Jesus in his faithfulness. Though Moses was not without personal failings. I mean, you remember he killed an Egyptian, slowly responding to God's call, hitting the rock in anger. But even though he was not without those personal failings, he was faithful as a minister. Numbers 12, verse 7 and 8 says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth. See, the difference between Moses and Christ was that Moses ministered faithfully during a limited period of time on earth, but Jesus lives forever to exercise faithfully the office of divine mediator and high priest from his throne in heaven. Understand something here. The term house refers to people and not to buildings. The house of Moses was the children of Israel. The house of Christ consists of all true believers. The house of God in New Testament understanding refers to the church that is made up of people. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle and temple were called the house of God. But these are types and shadows pointing forward to Christ and to the church. Nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament is the house of God referred to as a building. Nowhere. In fact, the early Christians had no building for almost 300 years. When they referred to the house of God, they thought of people, not buildings. God's purpose in the New Testament is not to dwell in buildings, but to dwell in people. I mean, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with in your body. So Moses faithfully ministered to Israel, but he was not the founder of Israel, but only a member of that great nation. But Christ, who is God in the flesh, called the nation of Israel 
into existence. Jesus Christ was the Jehovah of the Old Testament, and He alone is the founder of Israel. Therefore, Christ deserves more honor and glory than Moses. See, the main point here is that although Moses was a great leader, he was just a member of God's house. But Jesus was the builder. Verse 4 clarifies that God is the builder of all things. Since Jesus is the builder of God's house, Jesus is God. As the author began this, this letter, this epistle, it was through Jesus that God made the world. So without in any way demeaning Moses, who was a great leader, the author is saying Jesus is in a totally different class. Moses was a faithful leader in God's house, but Jesus built the house. See, if you marvel at how Israel became a nation after 400 years of slavery, and you're amazed at how God used Moses to lead them out of Egypt, marvel still more at the fact that it was Jesus who designed the whole program. He called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and promised to bless all nations through his descendants. He revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. He was with Israel in the wilderness, in the pillar, in the cloud. He fed them with manna and gave them water from the rock. While Moses is worthy of honor, Jesus is worthy of far more glory. So don't turn your back from Jesus to, to following Moses or you'll be turning from God himself toward mere man. See, I would submit to you today that Christ's work is also superior to the work of Moses. Look at verse 5 and 6 in this passage. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. See, in contrast, although Moses was great, he was only a servant, whereas Jesus is the Son of God the heir, the one who will inherit all things. As a servant, Moses' role was to testify of those things which were to be spoken later. All that Moses wrote looked ahead to Jesus, who rebuked the Pharisees saying, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. In John chapter 5, verse 46, Moses was just a servant pointing toward the heir who is Jesus. And so the argument is, don't go back to Moses. Consider Jesus because he's greater than Moses. He's greater. Probably none of us today are tempted 
to turn back to Moses. But we are easily tempted to turn to, quote, good things in such a way that we miss God's best. Some believers emphasize obedience, and certainly obedience is a good thing. I mean, God forbid that we not obey His Word. But sometimes those who emphasize obedience start adding things that go beyond God's Word, and they fall into legalism. They camp out on minor issues, but they neglect the majors. They push man-made rules or standards as if they were binding on all Christians. They take pride in their conformity to these rules, and they, they look down on those who don't keep them. See, Jesus confronted the Pharisees who were meticulous about tithing even their table spices, but who neglected, as Jesus said, the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. That's in Matthew 23, verse 23. See, I've seen others who emphasize Bible knowledge or correct theology And again, those are very important things. I'm not downplaying that. But if our Bible knowledge and theology do not lead us to know and worship Jesus Christ more fully and to submit our hearts more completely to Him, then we've traded the best for the good. If we take pride in our knowledge, our great knowledge, vast knowledge, and look down on those who are not as enlightened as we are, then folks, we're off track. True knowledge of the supremacy of Jesus leads us to humility, not pride. So consider, brothers and sisters, consider Jesus. To endure the many trials and and the many temptations of the Christian walk, consider Jesus as the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus as being greater than Moses. I love this because in verse 6 it says, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Christ is the son. He's the one who's going to inherit it all. He's the heir. He is Lord over the church the spiritual house of God. Moses is a servant. Christ is a son. Moses served in his house. Christ served over his house as Lord. So Christ is superior to Moses in every way. This passage goes on and says whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and boast of the hope firm until the end. You see, the author assumes that those whom he is speaking were true believers, for he says whose house we are. He accepts their profession of faith because they are the house of Christ. They have professed Christ and outwardly identified themselves with the household of Christ, but they were also under obligation to remain, excuse me, to maintain their personal confidence and Christian hope. Notice how the author then interjects the word if. 
<laughs> which means maybe you will and maybe you won't. This is another reference in the book of Hebrews to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Listen, eternal security is not the issue here. For we know that the truly saved person can never be lost. The issue here is that a truly saved person will show evidence of his faith by holding fast, seizing, taking possession of the faith. True Christians have confidence, they have assurance, they have boldness and hope. Hope in Christ's coming and the receiving of a resurrected body. See, they have this confidence and hope right up to the end. And I would say that the end refers to the end of a person's life here on earth or until the end of all human history as we know it at the second coming of Christ. Remember, this is a warning to these Jews who were thinking about leaving Christianity for Judaism. If they leave Christianity, they were never saved in the first place. But if they stay, they will persevere right on to the end. Folks, this warning is true, just as true today as it was in the first century. True believers persevere, never perfectly, but they do push on in the faith. See, there is always the possibility that, any, that in any group of believers, there are mere professors who profess faith, who are self-deceived into thinking they are Christians because they go through all the external rituals of Christianity. But a Christian is one who believes in Christ and lives for Christ. The necessity of persevering in the faith is also taught in other places. I mean, you think about John 8, verse 31 says, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Hebrews 3, verse 14 For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. 1 Corinthians 15.2 By which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I have preached to you unless you believed it in vain. See, the cares and the riches of the world may lure a Christian temporarily away from Christ, but he will persevere Trials and persecutions may discourage a true believer, but he will grasp tightly with the confidence and the rejoicing of hope, which is his because he belongs to the spiritual house of Christ, the church. See, this verse 6 teaches that Christians can have the assurance of our salvation. As true believers, we We can have the confidence, the boldness, the assurance of salvation with great rejoicing. This is not boasting. It is a confidence that is ours because we know the living Christ. 
Nor is it a presumption to have assurance of salvation because this is the natural result of seeing the living Christ at work in us. As I wrap this up, understand, the writer of Hebrews is concerned that his readers may be the rocky soil that withers under affliction or persecution. They were in danger of going back to a more comfortable life in their old Jewish religion because of the imminent threat of persecution in their newfound Christian faith. So as he concludes his comparison showing Jesus' superiority over Moses, he said that we are God's house. But then adds, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope until the end. Folks, I have absolutely enjoyed opening up this scripture passage and and talking about it. I hope that you will take this, that you will apply it, that you will share what you are, are learning with someone else. Pick something out. Pick something that you can, a, a takeaway from our time together today. Share that with others. We're going to pick up right here where we, where we leave off. We're going to go through uh, verses 7 through 11 and maybe a little further next week. But I encourage you, stay in God's word. Consider Jesus. Spend time with him. Folks, that is the major thing. Spend time with Him and in His Word, especially in these days of pandemic, in these days of trial, in these days of being separated from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Know that I love you and God loves you. 